Pedro. Pedro still going and going and twists it in, Pedro. It's a beauty from the Spaniards. Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 24, and we're your hosts, Matt and Jake, ready to take you through all the action that happened on Match Day 21 in Serie A. Once again, excuse my voice, guys. I am recovering from an illness yet again. <laughs> I'm like Pato, dude, at this point. Our goal of the week is Pedro's strike on the turn versus Hellas Verona. The technique on that strike was incredible. I can't believe he got that much power into it, man. That was, yeah. what a goal. His back towards goal, and he still managed to place the strike way better than most players can, man. Brilliant True, experience rolling back. Rolling back the Barca years. He's had such a long career. He was deemed old when he joined Chelsea. Yeah. And that was a while back. And he was good at, at Chelsea. He found some success over there as well. He had good performances and sometimes was even in the starting 11, mm-hmm. I think, most of the time. A player um, with that much skill will always be good. Yeah. And then you think, oh, he's just coming to Serie A to retire. And he's had, what, like a banging three years at Lazio. Mad influential. Mad influential. Serious spotlight slips. Once again, we have been defeated by the system. Sassuolo beat Atalanta and there was only one goal in the derby della Madonnina. So just straight up, wrong, move on. Like Yeah, on to the next. On to we're, the next. we're on a big fat zero now, bro. We need to put in again. Mm. My God. <laughs> if you have no idea what we are talking about, you can follow our train crash of a journey on Instagram, TikTok or Twitter. Um, that's where you can keep up with us. You can even send us a message, close friends, and we'll add yeah. you to our close friends and you can see a bit of behind the scenes. It's something new we've been doing. Yeah. Um, also, don't forget to rate us five stars. It really helps with the algorithm, guys. It helps keep us going. Um, you can send us a voice note yeah. and we might even feature you or just put you on Instagram stories with a poll underneath to see if people agree with you or not. Yeah, I encourage that a lot. You guys get to fill in... Uh part of our podcast and some of you would follow some teams religiously and Jake and I simply won't so your insight would always be appreciated and we encourage it. Before we get into the games individually obviously here I am once again to read out the entire list to you. So on the Derby della Madonnina it was Inter 1 Milan nil, a goal from the forehead of Lautaro Martinez or, yes, or Lautaro's, Lautaro's forehead, forehead one yeah. of them we'll see. We, it was a massive debate. Massive. As to which one we should um, use as our podcast title. I hope we made the right choice. I really hope that we did. And let us guys know if you agree or disagree. Second game, Spezia nil, Napoli 3, Gvara, Ozyman, party. Roma against Empoli, 2-0 to Roma. Once again, Tammy Abraham is back. Verona 1, Lazio 1. Verona keep fucking grinding. Sassuolo 1, Atalanta 0. An early red card for Mele totally shifted the game over there. Juve 3, Salernitana 0. Vlahovic back and contributing to every single goal over there. Fiorentina 1, Bologna 2. Motta's men, the beasts. Torino 1, Udinese 0. Torino are one of the most unpredictable teams in the league and Udinese are currently one of the worst. Monza 2, Sampdoria 2, late equaliser there by Monza. And Cremonese 0, Lecce 2. Cremonese started really good and then Lecce continued really <laughs> good. So uh-huh, that's pretty much the rundown. What stood out for you? Obviously there was the derby this weekend. So yeah. that took up. There were two derbies. There were, of course, the Derby della Pennina. Yeah, the Fiorentina-Bologna game was a derby. And that, 
was my Chaka. my game of the the week. I think yeah. the top three were were that one, um, Fiorentina Bologna, uh, Monza Sampdoria was definitely a, was a classic over there. Yeah, and I think. Sassuolo Atalanta would be top three because you're wondering what's going to happen here. Yeah. Can they do it? You know, and a great goal by Lauriente as well in that yeah. game, a candidate for our goal of the week. Um, and yeah, just an early red card changing everything. Seeing Sassuolo adapt so well to that, seeing Atalanta struggle after yeah. that, it was very, very exciting. A very poor derby della Madonnina when it comes to quality. Um, Inter demonstrating much more quality than Milan did. Um, we'll get into this one very shortly. I don't think it's appropriate to start discussing it now yeah I have a lot to say yeah. <laughs> about that um, let's just jump yeah. straight into it um, the Derby della Madonnina it was Inter 1 Milan nil. the previous encounter was a victory for Milan as they won 3-2 this time obviously Milan did have a couple of injuries to their names so Milan lined up in a very changed formation, it was a 3-5-2 being utilised by Pioli here. Tatarasano in goal and the back line of Kalulu, Kier and Gabbia. Calabria out in the right wing-back position with Teo Hernandez on the left side. Tonali, Krunic and Messias as a mezzala in that three-man midfield. Giroud up top and alongside Origi rather than Leao. For Inter, on the other hand, was also a 3-5-2 formation. Onana and goal, a backline of Bastoni, Acerbi and Skriniar. De Marco out on the left, Darmian out on the right, Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Barella in the middle with Zeko and Martinez up front. Inter with a very tried and tested 3-5-2 yeah. over there. Milan with a totally new 3-5-2 <laughs> that is just levels below yeah. that. Um, so the scoring was opened in the 34th minute by Lautaro Martinez. Unfortunately, it was an assist by Hakan Çalhanoğlu that shushed the Milan fans after that. The Turkish scorer found the head of the poorly marked Lautaro Martinez who headed in past Atarusanu with his forehead. The header took a slight deflection off of Kier, but still clearly, very clearly, Lautaro's goal. Later on, a couple of things changed. Milan looked a bit brighter, but then in the 89th minute, Lautaro's second goal was cancelled due to his forehead being offside, but Inter still walked away with a comfortable three points. Uh, very brief over there, naturally, because of just the one goal, but yeah. we have a lot to say, I think. Quite a lot to say, um, particularly the the way this game started. You know, So coming into the game, you saw the 3-5-2 formation announced. Mm -hmm. um, what were your original thoughts on this? I was shook because when Pioli said Milan were going to try something new, I was expecting to see a 4-3-2-1, something that at least Milan had done before. But to opt for a 3-5-2 against Inter and in doing that, you're dropping key personnel as you're entering the Derby della Madonnina away to Inter. Um, you look on the other side, Inter have the same system set up just with players that have been doing it for years and years and years under Conte and Allegri. Um, and I think for that reason, it was an absolute mismatch. Milan, obviously, without Tomori, without Manian, without Ben Nasser, without Leao. Just a nightmare, really, for any Milan fan seeing that lineup. Yeah, it was. I mean, Milan and Pioli have been flirting with the idea of a three-at-the-back system for a while now because it suits the... The um, skill set of Theo Hernandez and Salamakers, for example, um, quite a few players have played in the system before. But, you know, you look at the fact that Milan's best defender at the moment is injured and the defense is quite thin and you're going with a three at the back formation and saying that you're going to stick to it for, mm. for a while. 
It's a bit weird, no? Besides Kalu, Lukier, and Gabia, there's only Malik Chow as the, yeah. the only replacement over there. You're fucking so, right. So it's, it's very thin. Calabria at the moment doesn't seem fit enough to start as the... The right no. wing back. I think no. Salamaker has looked way better when he came on, more lively and more comfortable in that role. I think he's more naturally a wing back, Salamaker yeah. than Calabria is. Messias in the midfield role um, is something that he used to do at Crotone, so it's not something new for him, but mm-hmm. he did not have much impact in this game, probably because you know he's not used to playing the system <laughs> or hasn't played the system in a while with these teammates set up in this manner. Mm-hmm. Origi barely touched the ball. Um, Giroud had that miss, right? Um, that yeah. was terrible at the end. It just, look, this does have promise and, and it is a positive that Milan managed a 1-0 loss and actually grew into the game and reacted through Pioli's in-game management, mm-hmm. which was heavily criticised coming into it. Um, but it always sucks losing a derby, right? Uh-huh. I think we could keep going on about the lineup and why it was set up the way it was set up. Um, but I think and one thing we discussed was the best case scenario in Milan starting in this formation with this setup um, was they'll be very defensive at the start, not concede in the first half and just maintain that first half. Second half, you grow into the game and you fucking go for their throats. You bring on Leao, you bring on all these key pieces and you just attack, attack, attack. Brahim Diaz is another one that obviously was left out. Um, with this setup and I think that's what Pioli wanted to do and in fact we did see Milan grow into the game later on it's just yeah. they weren't effective when they were attacking like this when you said this was the um, lowest quality there with Madonina you've seen in a while I absolutely agree because it's not like Inter weren't fucking up it's not like Inter were perfect the mistakes in the second half they almost gave Milan the game yeah but then you saw you saw because Milan were pressing in the second half, but they were pressing intelligently, not over pressing. Yeah. In the first half, there was one point where Milan were finally pressing, and I'm we're like, oh look at this, look at the press, look at the press, and suddenly Inter just start tiki tackling it Playing with their back heels that around. Started, it started with Barella juggling the ball. Remember? <laughs> yes, yes, and then someone I believe got a yellow card yeah, and breaking um, down. That. I think it was Kalulu. He just grabbed Lautaro and took him to the ground. <laughs> I they would have scored the girls were watching that <laughs> and the second Barella did that and Inter went on that crazy counter attack they were like wow <laughs> Inter play really well <laughs> and we're like I support Inter <laughs> I, I think I'll support Inter now like no you don't stop it <laughs> another funny one your girlfriend's hilarious bro <laughs> she's just sat there cross-legged swaying her head Chala no glue we love and respect you <laughs> she keeps saying if you were to sit down with Hakan you'll understand him and you'll forgive him like and she thinks he has kind eyes but now we've pointed out the upside down ears <laughs> to her and she's not sure how she feels about him so their expression change when they notice that his ears are upside down is, is hilarious it's like the the Serie A trophy upside down because he'll never yeah. win a Serie A trophy. <laughs> Maybe next pew, 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 pew. But yes, um, we're laughing a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> this was Lautaro Martinez's seventh goal against Milan in all competitions. Um, there was the nightmare Cardi before. before yes. There have been a few nightmares on both sides, but the ultimate, I believe, derby king was Shevchenko, who has a record goal scored in the derby. Um, mm. A fun stat, this was the 178th Milan Derby in Serie A. 
Inter have won 68 and Milan have won 54 of them. Ah, that's yeah. not nice to hear as a Milan <laughs> fan. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I think in recent history, well, recent history being the last decade, Inter have been the much better side in, in Milan. Yeah. Um, I think both clubs faced their banter eras and they both faced their glory days um, equally. I would say, but I think throughout that Inter would typically be a slight level above Milan. Mm. I think this is one of the first times where if you see Milan starting 11 fully fit against Inter starting 11 fully fit, both on top form, it'll be tight. I know Inter are insane. I'm not disrespecting them, but I think Milan are that good that when they're both on top form, I think Milan can get it done, man. I'm not sure I agree personnel-wise. Maybe... You know, the way they play, maybe stylistically. I'm saying head, if, if we were to watch them right now, head to head, ah, they full. both teams on their, on their top form. Ah, on top form, yes, okay, okay. Personnel, okay. Inter so it, well, it could be well-rounded. Yes, yes, personnel, I would say they, they have the, the edge. But when it comes to, um, it's through head to head, Milan have proven to be a thorn in the side of Inter. Yeah. Yeah, another interesting thing is that um, Inter can look quite clumsy at the back sometimes without Brozovic. Let's, let's just say that, without Brozovic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you look at the stat here. No side has conceded fewer home goals than Inter in Serie A this season. Five level with Roma. Wow, man. Yeah, so it's not been going too swimmingly for Inter, but they can rest their laurels that defensively at home, they're, they're solid. Yeah, and you see that Milan conceded five at home against Sassuolo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on the contrary, Milan conceded 18 goals in January 2023. They most the most they have ever conceded in a single month of a year in their history in all competitions since 1929-1930. Yeah. Um and if you look at the way that Milan defends set pieces, you'll understand why immediately the way that Inter lined up to attack Milan this game was mm. to take set pieces, like even corners. And just shoot. Yeah. Chalnoglu was literally shooting from corners while the inter attackers and defenders were trying to block Tatarasan. Exactly. Vision. So exactly. it's it was a bombardment over there, almost disrespectful. Tata actually pulled out a good performance. Um, he Tata, didn't leave his line when he should have, but he made some amazing reaction saves. I think from a shot stopper perspective, Tata couldn't have been much better than he was in this game. He had a good performance. Yeah. He had a great save on Lautaro in the opening moments of the match. Um, I think that could have easily been a goal. It got down super, super well. Um, yes, perhaps he still isn't the commander that every team needs. It's a very important quality in a goalkeeper, one of the most important qualities a keeper can have. Um, so for that reason, obviously, Manian would still be nice. <laughs> yes, no, of course. And he's a, just the leader, the fact that he's a leader. Exactly. Yeah, Milan did not look hot coming into this at all. <laughs> the first half, things were dire. Milan had like 25% ball possession, zero shots on target. I'm not sure, did that Brahim shot where he shot? And I think you yeah. made a joke that whenever he shoots, you hear, eh. <laughs> <laughs> It was Brahim, off target and the keeper is caught. Yeah, Brahim has a kid's shot, is my point. Um, I don't think I've ever seen him hammer in, except for the one against Juve, but that was yeah. more curling. I think when you look at Milan's first half performance, I think they, so they barely had the ball, obviously 25% ball possession. Um, and then just every time the ball went to Tonali, 
He was losing it. Yeah. He was fucking it up. <clears throat> Every time it went to Tonali, Tonali messed up in, in one way or another. Obviously a great professional for Milan, um, a very talented player as well, a, a leader in his young age. It's a dream for him to play for Milan. He loves the club. Um, he hasn't been hot in the last couple of games. And I think this was his worst performance yet, one of his worst in a Milan shirt. Yeah. But obviously the, the man is struggling just as much as the team is struggling. No, for sure. But he looked reckless. That's what it is. Like he would mm. go for a flick on, play the pass. It's almost like muscle memory. Like he would think that a teammate would be yeah. there. And he'd often pass to where Brahim should be in the 4-2-3-1. That's true. But that's not how we're playing. So the pass would just go to no one. Like or the long balls over the top. Mm. The header when he had space and time to take it down. Um, he looked reckless. Calabria looked unfit. Theo looked unbothered. Kalula looked scared. It's Kalula a whole team thing. very scared. Kalula looked scared. I man. think that's the... The main, that the two that I noticed were the three actually, sorry, there was Theo, there was Tonali, um, well actually so many man, there was Giroud as well, but Kalulu had a bit of a mare as well. So mm -hmm. he was alongside Gabianke. Gabia, who for his young age, I don't know how he moves so slow <laughs> as a defender and Kier, who obviously is an older player now who's recovering, recovering from ACL surgery and he's barely got 70 minutes in him and it was up to Kalulu to provide the pace and um, I guess not control because Kier will be controlling but he has a big part to play as the starter the only starter in that defense and just every decision he made he seemed to do it half-heartedly not half-heartedly because he doesn't give a shit but because he's scared of putting in a 100% tackle and if yeah, you're not putting it exactly if you don't go all in with a tackle. Don't attempt to put in a tackle because you're just going to get skipped past. Mm -hmm. and, and it just seemed like he was never fully committed. Every time the ref whistled when he was in the box defending, it's like he was having a fucking heart attack that he gave away a penalty. It's like he's having PTSD. And I'm sure that's the case and I'm sure it's confidence. So I'm just hoping the environment and purely is helping Milan recover from these traumatic experiences, man. No, for sure, man. Um, you look at Kalulu, man. As we discussed last episode, he was fearless when mm. he, on, on the come up. You know, he didn't even think it was possible for him to make a mistake. And if he would, he would recover from it immediately. But now, you know, he's made one, he's made two, he's made three. And suddenly the confidence is, is fading away. It's not fun to watch at all, man. No. Um, and these team, this team, this um, concoction of um, low, low confidence, low morale... Uh, all this basically resulted in the 100th pass of the match being completed in the 56th minute. Now, at that point, I think Inter had completed their 300th pass or something. What was mm. it? So they were absolutely playing Milan out of the fucking field. Can you imagine the pressure on, on Pioli's shoulders at the moment, bro? My God. The newspapers have been absolutely reckless. You see the likes of Arrigo Sacchi saying that the fact that Pioli has changed to a three at the back formation means that he has gone against his beliefs and he's transmitting the fact that he doesn't believe in his ideas to to the players and to the fans and that he's fucked up all these years of hard work basically mm. you know and you see all these headlines about him i mean it's it's he's i i disagree with saki's comment because what pioli is trying to do is create a new system that milan can excel in i don't think it's not believing in his old ways it's right now his old ways aren't working so adapt or die essentially yeah. and he adapted he went 
against the grain, did something very different, but did something that he had been preparing behind the scenes. I think, I mean, if I could offer just a word of advice to Pioli, no matter what, just keep your head. That's what you have to do right now, because the media is making noise. Everything is making noise. I'm sure there's noise inside his head as well. Just keep your head, keep calm. This team has done and it before. And Just it's find not that. like it's not like this result was worse than what we've seen in the past seven games. Mm. You know, you, Milan conceded one goal. They lost by one in the Derby della Madonnina. A tough game mm-hmm. against an Inter side who are doing okay. I mean, you know, they had, they had one they're slip strong. up recently, but but they're doing all right. Other mm-hmm. than that, um, and you look at a one nil loss when at the end had Giroud done what Coach Weezer told me to do when I was nine years old, it would have ended 1-1, for the love of God, all right? Control with your right, shoot with your left, all right? Control with your left, shoot with your right. I don't know why this guy is trying to take it on the outside, man, especially when the defender is on his outside. Like, it would have made sense if he was on Giroud's right, the defender. You know why, why for the sauce for because the swag he was thinking of a TV alien <laughs> named Alf <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, terrible yeah. that was both by me and by Giroud um, you wouldn't <laughs> want you know one of your brightest players one of your leaders one of your top goal scorers one of your best players quite frankly to get the ball in the final third in the Derby della Madonnina and do that bro I agree with everything we said about Pioli and the 3-5-2 and, and sure, tried something new, tried to adapt to a sinking ship, essentially, tried to rebuild something. Um, Imagine if he didn't change anything. But yeah, in, that that. Yeah. in that 3-5-2, in that 3-5-2, player best players. Yes, no, that's no, that, all that, I have that to I say. That I agree with. Because dropping um, Brahim for Messias and not playing Leao up top alongside Giroud, to me, are two big question marks. It's the, the Calabria choice as well at the moment. Like, you're not seeing Salamaker is over Calabria yeah. right now on a heartbeat in a 3-5-2, obviously. So, it's true. But, but then again, bro, I don't know. Personally, I find it weird that Leao was benched against Sassuolo and benched against Inter. It might some. be one of those situations where he's the, the last to arrive and the first to leave off the pitch, mm. something like that. You know, it might be maybe his attitude has become a bit lackadaisical since all the rumors and all the, the media. And Leao reads the stuff. Since the you see cup. him on fucking Twitter mm. liking all those weird things. I never know how I I never know what he means. Like what message is he trying to portray by liking this? Once Daniel Maldini said he has no thoughts in his head, bro, it's all just vibe. <laughs> it's all vibe. I think it's been since the World Cup. I don't know if it's the World Cup or it's just the overall team form that is affecting him negatively. But aha, uh, he does seem like he's taking quite a lackadaisical yeah. approach. Because why would Pioli bench the guy who won you the reverse fixture? I still think start. <laughs> because yeah. because he's that kind of guy, bro. He just kicks the ball forward and if the ball lands in a good area he's through yeah and that's what you get with him he's so incredibly direct he's one of the most direct players in the league i mentioned to me another milan player that's direct name me one mm, there aren't many Exactly. Theo's very direct. Yeah, Theo's Theo. direct, but he's obviously quite uh, far from goal. Messias tries to be direct. God bless him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, <laughs> not even Giroud is direct. <laughs> like. No, Giroud is the opposite of direct. He goes the other way. Exactly. Flick, flicks it back. But so anyway. you, lose, you lose him and you're like, you're losing 
most of your attacking threat, 90% of your attacking threat is lost. You drop Leo against Inter. And listen to this stat, bro, over here. So Charles de Catelare and Adley, mm. Milan's two signings in the winter market, in the summer market, sorry, mm. were amongst the top 10 under 21 assist men in Europe's top five leagues last year. Okay. And Franks is the captain of Belgium's under 21s. So these are three players who have some kind of claim to fame, right? CDK Adley with their mm. assists and Franks being the captain of the under-21 team. Chao, from what we've seen from him, is clearly a beast. Mm-hmm. Why are these four players, these four clearly talented players, not doing well, bro, in your opinion? They're not even being considered. I mean, I think they're, they're here at a very difficult time because... There are players above them that are there because they've had success with Milan and because they're better suited for that system because they're tried and tested in that system and victorious in that system. Um, But these players are now failing. Now, when these players are failing, now they've been failing for what? The past five matches? Yeah. The past five matches. And the ones who are not failing are injured. Exactly, exactly. So then it's a judgment call from the coach. Is it, I need these guys to be better. And for them to be better, I need to give them the right opportunities to be better. So he just keeps them in. Or else it's, fuck it, this isn't working. This guy's performing like shit. I'm going to bench him. And that's going to be a statement I make. So everyone's going to get their shit together because everyone wants to play and everyone wants to win. So that's what Pioli did essentially Mm -hmm. with Leao, for example, but it's not like he gave great opportunity to much of these other players and then by doing that, because he was still playing players that are out of form. I think last year, Milan were the underdogs, so there was less pressure on these players. There were less expectations. Mm. Now the players coming in, these CDKs, these Adleys, these Chows, they're replacing people who have won the league. Mm. People are expecting them, people expect Milan to win games. Yeah. People expect you not to make mistakes. People expect a certain standard. And you get to see that CDK started with this confidence and after a couple of mistakes and a couple of headlines, absolutely mm-hmm. the, sh- the shadow yeah. of the player he was. You watch highlights of him last year, you barely recognize him. Adley has barely been given time. Like that's yeah. simply probably because purely he's like, I don't know if this guy is ready and I can't risk it. I can't afford to lose then, any more then, points. Like to me, Adley is being wasted because he's not out on loan. Like, yeah, that's He's it. just that's there, it. not being called to the Champions League not even being your third choice attacking midfield and you even go so far as to playing Messias as a mezzala. No, I mean, clearly, clearly we could, I think we could go on about this all night. Yeah. Milan and um, Pioli and, and the way Milan were set up in this game and Milan's recent failures. Obviously, Inter, I mean, not a tough task to beat Milan at the moment, but they got it done. It wasn't a clean victory. Um, sure, it was domination because Milan weren't set up to have 50% ball possession in this match. They were set up to stay back and reduce the harm that could be done. Yeah, perhaps attempt to counter without your most direct, fastest player. Yeah, counter with Giroud. Counter with Giroud and Origi up front. But Inter, I mean, they did show moments of brilliance in this game. I think Lautaro is just a star for them. We know he goes through his spells. Maybe he could be a little bit inconsistent in long periods. It's Mm -hmm. never like he's shit in a couple of games, then great in a couple of games. He always has spells. Either he's scoring all the time or he's never scoring. And right now he's fucking scoring. That's like 
eight goals in seven games, something like that. So he's obviously back for Inter. Barella is just an unbelievable talent unbelievable, for them. What a yeah. game he had, what a game Barella had, man. It's true, he was he was super. Um, second best for them behind Lothar. Yeah. Inter maintained their position in second with 43 points, 13 behind Napoli and three ahead of Roma, whilst Milan dropped to sixth level on points with Atalanta in 38 and eight points ahead of Torino, who they face next. One man does think that Milan's luck is about to change. And his name is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, yes. He's back in the next game, should be featuring off the bench. The 41-year-old playing his first game of the season. Very exciting. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff. Yeah, does he, he still have it after Does he injury? still have it, man? That's the big question. So is a historical moment watching Zlatan play yes, at sir. this age. Agreed. The next game we're going to be covering is Spezia nil Napoli 3. The previous encounter was a 1-0 victory for Napoli thanks to a goal by Raspadori. Spezia lined up with Dragovski in goal in a 3-5-2 formation. Nicolao Caldara and Ampadu were at the back with Reco on the left, Amian on the right, Agudelo, Esposito and Burabi in the middle. Verde and new boy Shomorodov played together up front. Shomorodov, of course, joining Spezia from Roma. I'm excited seeing him get more playing time. Hey, I, I like the guy. I like him. It was a 4-3-3 for Napoli with Meret in goal, Di Lorenzo on the right and Mario Rui on the left with Min Kim and Rahmani at the back. The midfield three of Anguissa, Lobotka and Zielinski with Lozano on the right. My God. Gvaratskeli on the left and Ozyman up front. <laughs> He's that scary. Fucking hell. <laughs> It all started at the end of the first half when Gvaratskelia scored the penalty despite Dragovski tracking the strike. Um, the penalty was awarded after a ridiculous handball by Reka <laughs> caused by a lack of coordination. Um, I'm not sure what was happening with Reka over there. It seemed like his body glitched or his brain glitched one of them, <laughs> but his arm remained extended. He seemed to forget where the ball was and the ball yeah. just landed on his hand. Yeah. It happened so quickly for him. The second he put himself in that position, the ball had made contact with his hand. So quite unlucky, but it, yeah. it just looks so silly. And that obviously changed the game because Spezia were forced to open up and then in the 68th minute, Ozyman punished them. Um, Ampadu's wayward clearance looped into his own area. Um, that was so reckless by Ampadu. Incredibly. Um, Ozyman managed to out-jump Dragovski, dude. He yeah. managed to out-jump the goalkeeper who attempted to collect the clearance. He headed into the back of the net and he took off in celebration. He actually broke the record of Cristiano Ronaldo's jump against Sampdoria, but not Tomori's record against Juventus. Yeah. That remains yeah. the, the highest leap for a goal, I believe. Yeah. This was a, a great, like, like even for Osiman to be able to score in that situation. Um, thankfully and luckily enough for him, Dragovski was making contact with a Spezia defender while yeah. he was rising. Um, so it didn't allow him to stretch to his full potential. But I think even then he would have had trouble, man. Yeah. In the 72nd minute, it was Caldara's turn to make a mistake. <laughs> he lost the ball to Kvartskelia and she's outside the area who squared the ball to Ozzyman, who slotted it into an empty net. That was, like, it's it's like someone paid Caldara to do that. It's like yeah. it's, he moved forward a bit really slowly, then, like, passed it back really slowly. So weird. Uh -huh, by the, the, ne the next best thing for Italian defenders, no, Caldara? Yeah, of course, man. So, <laughs> back then, that was such a weird time. It was Rugani and Caldara. They As were the if he, he was just inflated by Juve. He's one yeah. of them, bro. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. Yeah, but no, 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 no. 
No, we'll have to give him his flowers. He deserves them. When he was at Atalanta, he was a beast before the injury. Fair enough. That's and I believe he scored something ridiculous like nine goals in a season, which for a centre-back is crazy. Nine goals in a season. Something yeah. like that, bro, for Atalanta. Let's fact check right now. But I, I'm pretty, <laughs> that, that sounds I'm crazy. I'm pretty sure that, it's That was true, the right-back, no Conti. Conti as well had scored a bunch, but I believe Caldara had also scored a bunch for, for Atalanta. I'm curious. Oh God, I'm on the wrong website. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, right? Atalanta, zero goals. <laughs> no, no, no. Here it is. Atalanta, seven goals. The first loan, the first loan. <laughs> I knew it. Because <laughs> then he joined Milan. After Milan, he went back to Atalanta where he didn't score a single goal. This, of course, was in 2017. Caldara scored seven goals. Conti, in his Atalanta days, in 2016, scored eight goals. My God. And 33 appearances. So, yeah, both of them were promising <coughs> players back then. Yeah. Yeah, I have very different scenarios now. No, one due to injury and the other one just both, never... Both due to injury. Well, to be both, honest, yeah. yeah, even Caldara. Now, um, after winning two of their first three matches against Napoli in Serie A, Spezia have lost their last three games without scoring against them. So safe to say Napoli have Spezia figured out. There isn't much to figure out when you're that good yeah you know when you're on that much form like these guys aren't going to stop you you know Mm -hmm. they'll typically try to shut you out of the game but it's so difficult with Napoli at the moment yeah and I think for a team with the capabilities of Spezia it is very difficult to come up with a system that stops Napoli even if you've got it nailed down it's very difficult it's looking harder and harder for Spezia especially with Verona racking up points on a weekly yeah Napoli have picked up an average of 2.65 points per match in Serie A this season. This is a record in the big five European leagues this season. If they maintain this average, they will have they will gain more than 100 points in 38 matches. Um, only Juventus under Conte have managed this in Serie A. My God. And that was in 2013-2014 when they got 102 points. It is. It is looking like they... They, at the moment, I'm viewing them as a 100-point club, like, at that level. Because like. even if they rest starters for the Champions League, their mm. subs are fine. <laughs> you know, Elmas is going to play. He's going to do fine. Like, you know, fucking Juan Jesus will play at the back. He'll put their, them in shift. Simeone, Raspadori, no Their problem. subs would start at Milan, right? Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, just to bring a bit of awareness about Victor Oziman. Mm. In his last four seasons for Lille and Napoli, Victor Oziman has scored 51 goals in just 94 league appearances. Since 2019, only Erling Haaland, with 86, has needed fewer games than the Nigerian to score 50 goals in the big five European leagues. Mm. So that's prolific ad right there. Today I made a, a point at work that if I said if Oziman were to go to United, United would fight for the league. Mm. Um, and everyone told me to relax. <laughs> and they said that Ossiman is overpriced at 120 or 140 million. And I told them, like, What's you don't argument? watch Serie A. Yeah. I told that that's all. And they said, they said, fair enough, I don't watch him often enough. And then I, I had to show them how much he scores and just the goals yeah. that he scores. I, I mean, mean the, the, the man at the moment is. Like with no doubt whatsoever. So the best striker in the league for sure. Yeah. Hands down, no comparison. Maybe Vlahovic when he's 
in a great run of form, but I think even then he's not as good as Ossiman. He is also then, I would say, top five strikers in the world at the moment. Yeah, I would say so. Um, it's hard to not at the moment, you know, with the way he's looked with Napoli. You can't really say. Plus, um, many of the big strikers have, have gone quiet, you know, the Lewandowski types, those guys. So I guess if there is a time for Oziman to be top five, it's now, right? And I yeah. think the only way is up for him because the the desire he shows in the game, the fact that they'd be three in a lap and he still goes into 50-50s where he's going to get his face kicked in or his ankle fucking stomped. Mm-hmm. He keeps going in, man. He doesn't care. You know, you see him by the end of it. At one point, he had his mask lopsided because he had just received a knock. He was on the floor. They were bandaging up his arm and helping him up with the, from his other arm. Like, this guy is just fucking falling to pieces and he keeps going, dude. He's, he's a beast. He's fun to watch. Yeah, it's very fun to watch. He's, he's yeah. to me, like a god. <laughs> he's uh, Like, among other strikers in the league, genuinely, he's like a god. It's true. It's, it, like... I would say he's one of overall the best players in the league. Yeah. Victor Osiman, overall, like. He um, kicked the ball into a woman's <laughs> face at the start of the game and in, in the warm up. And he went into the Spezia stands and apologized personally yeah. to her. Everyone was saying, Grande Osiman, and then all the middle aged men put their phones in his face. <laughs> that was tough to watch. <laughs> um, a point about Spezia now, bro, um, on the darker side. Mm-hmm. Spezia haven't scored in four of their last five games. They're really feeling the loss of their big striker in Zola. Um, and they can't seem to find anyone to score the goals in his stead. Um, well, they've, they've signed uh, Shomorodov yeah. now in that attempt. I think if you give Shomorodov some time, he will show us that he's a good player for sure. Um, the, the question is, can he turn things around for Spezia? Can he be the guy to score goals for them? First test was a very tough one up against Rahmani and Minje. <laughs> mm-hmm. But maybe he'll get his opportunity yeah. soon. Verona have inched to four points behind Spezia um, in the relegation pool. Uh, Spezia, I, I think, will be in danger. They'll be in trouble this season, I think, Spezia. I'm going to say it. This, this season, they're in the fight. I'm, I'm not going to go they're in the fight every as far to say that they are for sure going to get relegated. Um because, and the only reason I say that is because there's Salernitana. I don't believe Verona will get relegated. Yeah. I don't believe that. I, and I think Sassuolo are too low. I think they're going to shoot upwards like Dogecoin. Yeah. <laughs> um, or Shiba Inu. Spe- <laughs> Shiba Inu, Dogecoin. Um, <coughs> pardon me, man. Ah, I thought I was the sick one. I my voice. I'm getting something. Huh? You are. I'm getting something. <laughs> Key got something, you have something. I'm fucked. Why are you making it sound like an STD, dude, or a UTI or something? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Who knows? Um, but I think Spezia are there. They're definitely mm-hmm. there. And at the moment, saying in a rash way, if I were to speak my mind right now, I think they'll get relegated this year. Spezia, yeah. Uh, I, but I then, I understand, so then I understand there's 16 games to go. So we can't be that rash in making that yeah. prediction, no? <laughs> No, you're right. Um, we never know what might happen. Like Verde and Shomorodov might start linking up and like saving Spezia mm. while, you know, Lechia might just not win another game this and season. And they've yeah. got the dog in them. The yeah. dog is what saved Salernitana 
last time. If you have the dog, you can stay up, man. That's it, man. Woof, that's woof. What, that's what Ballardini has, the exactly. dog. That's he, why. Ballardini is the dog. <laughs> and Ballardini is no fucking... He, he's an Alsatian. He's a Rottweiler, you know? He's a boxer. He's one of those. Yeah, that's right. That's why he didn't put up a fight against Lecce. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got that dog in him. Now, Napoli are first partying. They're still partying. They've been partying for a while now. 56 <laughs> points in first. You know, Inter are second with 43 points. You do the math. <laughs> um, Spezia are in 17th with 18 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Roma 2, Empoli 0. The previous encounter was also a victory for Roma as they won 2-1 away from home. Roma did a 3-4-2-1 formation with Rui Patricio on goal, a backline of Ibanez, Smalling and Mancini, El Sharawi out on the left, Zalewski out on the right, double pivot of the big boys, Matic and Cristante, Pellegrini out on the left, Debal out on the right with Tammy Abraham up front. They've also got a system nailed down, Roma. Empoli um, and then fielded a 4-3-1-2 formation with Vicario in goal, Ebuehi out on the right, Parisi out on the left with Luperto and De Winter as the back two. Uh, Akpra, Akpro and Marin alongside Bandanelli formed the midfield three with Baldanzi just ahead of them and Satriano and Caputo starting up front. So in the second minute, it only took two minutes for Roma to open the scoring and it was Ibanez as the Bala's corner met the head of Ibanez who rose spectacularly to head the ball into the back of the net despite Vicario getting a hand to it. Three minutes later, same routine. It was the Bala's corner. Uh, Tammy headed it into the bottom corner, this time leaving Vicario rooted to the spot. Same routine, same result for Roma. In the 43rd minute, Empoli had an opportunity to get one back, but Ebuehi failed to hit the target after an excellent cross by Marin from a free kick. This was almost an empty post because the keeper committed and the ball got past the goalkeeper and it fell to Ebuehi, but he skied it. Then, in the start of the second half, Vicario just produced a masterful triple save, three kisses for Vicario. He first stopped the Bala's volley and then a Mancini rebound. And then he lifted his leg up in the air whilst grounded to deny Tammy Abraham's header into what seemed like an empty goal as far as Tammy was concerned. What a save. It was one of those football anime moments. <laughs> you know, I don't know the names of the animes, but there are quite a few. Galactic no soccer or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. A Galactic bunch, football. Yeah. A bunch of that stuff. But this was just... Great by Vicario. I think he's, we've been saying for ages that he's a fantastic talent. We're saying in season one as well. I'm glad he kept it up. It shows that he actually is <laughs> and we weren't just being momentary. Um, and that just showcases his abilities. He's one of the best keepers in the league. And it's no wonder how teams like Bayern Munich were mentioned to be interested in him in January. I, I had not heard that. You hadn't heard it. No, to no, be honest, no. neither neither did I, but I heard it off a commentator. So that's my source. Okay. I know they brought in Jan Sommer yeah, after I mean, Neuer's incident. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, Bayern, they can just say, okay, who's the second best one exactly, here in the exactly. league? You, come here. <laughs> and PSG have the same pull power. That's but, the equivalent of like, let's say, Merit gets injured for now, and just buy him on Jan. I mean, Juve were kind of like that for a while when it came to youth products. Huh? Yeah. When they were, when they had their nine-year hiatus, they, they would just buy every hot Italian talent back then. 100%. And then inflate their prices. Yeah. <laughs> Roma did what Roma do to their full potential. They got 
They scored two early set pieces, essentially, both taken by Dybala, one scored by Abanez and one scored by Tammy Abraham. He's back, skirt, skirt. Um, doesn't mean that Empoli didn't have a good game of football. Empoli have been very good and they had a decent game over here as well. Now, Roma do allow you to have possession, but Empoli had 55% ball possession. They had 11 shots and two of them were on target. Obviously, not an easy game against Roma and that's why their output was struggling but they had a decent game yeah they did and it was always going to be tough for Empoli considering they have actually never beaten Roma at home in Syria My and God. the last time they beat them of course in their own stadium was in February 2007 which oh was quite God. a while ago yes um, Raz Van Maren your boy Raz Van Maren dude yes, we, we rate him very highly over here since he made his Serie debut in 2020 <coughs> mm-hmm. um, only two midfielders have created more chances from set pieces than him Razvan, baby Razvan. He's created 82 chances behind only Lorenzo Pellegrini and Chalanoglu. I wouldn't have thought that. Personally, I wouldn't Damn. have guessed. Um, but he's been taking these set pieces for a while, like with Cagliari and all that. Yes, it's true. But I still think there are loads of more players that, that have created more chances than Razvan Marin. Under the radar. Under the radar. Yeah, but I like... I like and rate Marin a lot. But there's only so much, obviously, he and Empoli could have done in a match like this. Uh, you, you concede two from set pieces in that manner in the first five minutes. It's just, I mean, that could have happened to Milan, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you look at, for example, Abraham's ability to hold the ball up. He's got such tidy footwork, bro. He really does, like, man. Even when they're when they're containing the lead and they just want to kill some time. You know, Abraham just holds the ball for his teammates to push up field. Such a good team at the moment. They are, man. They are. It seems like Mourinho now, he knows his team. He's getting the best out of them. Obviously, it helps that he has certain rivals that are slipping up, which allows them to slot mm-hmm. into third, which is a great spot for Roma to be. Because before, teams could slip up and Roma wouldn't capitalize. But now... This is Mourinho's Roma. You slip up and they smell blood. And look, there they are again. Another very consistent victory for Roma. Yeah. And then Poli are no walk in the park at the moment. I know a lot of teams that would struggle against them. So big win for Roma. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, and their centre-back three managed to phase out Satriano and Caputo very well. It feels like Baldanzi was doing a one-man job over here for Empoli. It was all Baldanzi. Um, Parisi and then I guess you could say like Marin and Bandinelli trying to make everything work from the midfield it was those guys you know and Loperto holding the ball for a long time too Yeah, but yeah the strikers barely touched the ball yeah I just want to mention Vicario one more time before we move on just because it it sounds like like we should give him a bit more praise but he's so good guys (laughs) Vicario is so fucking good Vicario is one of the next big things if it weren't for Donnarumma He'd be up there with the Italian national team, like, because yeah. he doesn't wank in showers. Yeah, he's, like a true pro- <laughs> he's a true professional. But his Empoli are in 12th place on 26 points, actually level on points with Monza and Juve, and just three behind Bologna and Udinese, and four behind Torino, if I'm going to keep doing this thing. <laughs> Roma in third on 40 points, one ahead of Lazio, two ahead of Atalanta and Milan. And they are three behind Inter. Super. The next game we're going to be covering is Verona 1, Lazio 1. The previous encounter was a 2-0 victory for Lazio. 
Verona lined up with a 3-4-1-2 formation with Montepo and goal, Coppola, Hien and Magnani at the back with Doig on the left, De Pauli on the right and a midfield duo of Tamese and Duda with Lazovic playing behind the strikers, Lasagna and Ngonge. God, leave the Duda and Lasagna on the same team. <laughs> Duda, and Lasagna, true man. I also think it's Ngonge. It's Ngonge? Yes. Ooh, Ngonge. This, this was the first time I saw this guy. It sounds like La Concha, like La Concha, the two madre. What is the Spanish? <laughs> okay, let's take it easy. Yeah, I meant that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Ngonge. Okay, Ngonge. Pretty good player, Ngonge. Very good player. Well, judging from this game, he's yes. very good. This is the first time I'd seen him, but mm-hmm. anyway. 4-3-3 for Lazio, usual Sarri formation with Provadel in goal, Marisic on the right, Hisai on the left with Romagnoli and Casale at the back. Midfield three of Luis Alberto, who's cementing himself back into the team, yes, Cataldi sir. and milinkovic Savic with Pedro on the right wing, a goal scorer of the week, with Zaccani on the left and Immobile up front. In the 18th minute, Ngonjo's shot was palmed by Provedel into the path of Doig, who skied the rebound. This was a massive let-off for Lazio. What a miss by Doig, and he was so disappointed in himself because he's been nailing these types of chances all season long. He has been. Let's just hope he can put it behind him and move forward because he is a very promising player. Indeed he is. In the 45th minute, there was a great attack by Lazio, which resulted in our goal of the week. Pedro received the ball from inside the area. He had his back towards goal, but curled an unstoppable strike on a full 360 spin past Montepo. Gorgeous and unstoppable. Yeah, I don't think there's a keeper in the world that would have saved that man. In the 51st minute, Ngonj scored and equalized. An in-swinging free kick by Lazovic was headed in by the incoming Cyril Ngonj, leaving Provedel rooted to the spot. This was his first start for Verona and this was his first goal in Serie A. Yes, sir. Just a minute later, Lazovic attempted a curling strike from just outside the area, which struck the far post. It would have been a brilliant goal. And in the 56th minute, Provedel did well to come out and deny Doig's attempt. After a few more shifts in possession, the match ended 1-1. Yes, sir. A very good result for Verona, especially against this Lazio, who have been a threat. They have been good. Sure, one second they're beating Milan 4-0. And then the next day... <clears throat> do drop points they're not perfect but still very good for Verona who sit in the bottom three to get more serious points to their name like this because you you know one can only dream of being having such a bad season like Verona and getting one point against Lazio which is normally a game where you get crushed yeah but not really for Hellas Verona who have shown recently um, out of their last 10 games against Lazio their 10 home games they won five and lost five. So they're a very worthy opponent for Lazio. And they have caused them pro- some problems in the near past. Yeah, in the, in the past, yes. Just my, my reference comes with how poor they've been yeah. this season in the, in, the, in the opening half and how low they find themselves in the league. Um, but yes, other than that, to me, they're a team that can take on some serious teams and do well, as we've seen them do in the past couple of years and even with their lack of talent it does seem like they still they still have that identity yeah it's true and this was a fucking hard fought draw for mm-hmm. Verona Lazio tried and tried and tried they brought on Philip Anderson off the bench to try to make an impact Giro Mobile really wasn't mm-hmm. at the races just yet this is one of his um, longest dry spells in a while simply because of his high goal scoring 
um, standards, but basically Lazio, bro, away from home are nowhere near as good as they are at home. When they're at home, it's almost a guaranteed victory at this rate. And that's true. That's true. I wonder what it is. I mean, obviously they have great fans and it's always easier to to play at home, but, you know, they, they need to brush up on their, yeah. on, on how they perform away from home and get to the bottom of why that is. Because it's one thing being you know, being better because of your fans. But if it means without your fans, you're going to yeah. have terrible performances and maybe it's something they should assess. Perhaps it's the secondhand smoke caused by Sari smoking on the team bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, listen to this. Listen to how important Darko Lazovic is for Verona. He has scored the most goals for them this season, three. Mm-hmm. He's created the most chances for his teammates, 20. He's had the most shots on target with eight. He's attempted the most crosses from open play with 48. He is, in every single way, Verona's best player this year. 100%. 100%. In the beginning of the season, he wasn't as efficient as he is now. I mean, he, he's found most of those numbers, I would say, since the World Cup break. Yeah. I would say. Um He's but been playing closer to goal as well. Yeah. He has been be- he has been playing closer to goal. I remember he was playing as a left wing back and then he was being utilized like as a central midfielder. Now he's close to goal as like a left forward, I would say, just left yeah. behind the striker. And he's very effective over there, man. And and I mean in this in this game, again, he assisted and he hit the post. It's like he wants to score in every game. Last mm-hmm. game, he forced an own goal. The game before that, he scored. He's been so good for Verona. He's a massive reason as to why their season has turned yeah. around. Verona have brought in Duda as a replacement for um, Illich, who has left. Duda is by no means a young prodigy or anything like that. He's a 28-year-old established player with lots of experience looking to come in and make an instant impact. Coppola, Hien and Magnani have seemed to tighten everything at the back and look even harder to um, penetrate nowadays with Montepo as well doing quite well how haven't you made a duda joke yet duda, I mean, and I then you said you, then you said penetrate and i was sure it was coming <laughs> i saw you I was smile. sure it was coming because duda means dick in maltese guys yeah, that's what I, you I, tell your child to call exactly it. it's 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 like willy <laughs> yeah. it's just a very babyish term all right you ready for bed you washed your duda <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> You brushed your teeth as normal. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Slo- Slovakia and he was bought from Köln in Germany. Okay. Yeah, so he's uh, an experienced player coming in to aid this relegation battle. So far it's going well. Lazio continues to struggle away from home while Verona continue to slowly climb their way out of the relegation pool or what seems to be the case anyway. Verona are in 18th with 14 points while Lazio are in 4th with 39 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Sassuolo 1, Atalanta 0. The previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Atalanta in Bergamo. This time, Sassuolo starting a 4-3-3 formation, as they always do, with Consigli in goal, a backline of Rogerio, Ruan, Ehrlich and Zortea out on the right. There's a midfield three of Henrique, Obiang and Frattesi. Then there was Lauriente out on the left, Berardi out on the right and Gregoire Defrel up front. For Atalanta, they played a 3-5-2 formation with Musson goal, backline of Toloi, Jim City and Scalvini. Hatteberg was their right wing back, Mele was their left wing back, not for long. 
with Dehone, Edison and Cope Miners in the middle with Lukman and Hoyland up front. In the 30th minute, the FRE Airoldi was prompted to carry out a VAR check after penalising Meili for a foul on Berardi. The check clearly showed that Meili planted his studs into the ankle of Berardi, causing the referee to brandish a red card to Meile. Obviously, terrible. Ruggeri replaced Edison, Ederson, the young Italian right wing back, um, but the team obviously was still down to 10 men. And within the 55th minute, Sassuolo took advantage of that. And it was Lauriente that opened the scoring. The Frenchman went toe to toe with Hatteber as he cut inside and unleashed a curling strike into the bottom corner from quite a tight angle. Impressive strike from an impressive player, to say the least. Atalanta found it very difficult to get back into the match after that. Then, in the final moments, to make matters worse, Muriel was dismissed for dissent after telling the referee, and I quote, You're bad at this. <laughs> the referee immediately brandished a red card, to which Muriel replied, What? I can't even say you're bad at this? Am I supposed to congratulate you after that performance? Yeah. Him and Mele now will miss Atalanta's upcoming match against Lazio. That's that Latino fire. No, they just can't help themselves. Um, I don't think the referee had a bad game. No, he <laughs> was fine. Honest. He was fine. I mean, the male foul was a red card. Yeah, exactly. And mm. Muriel, That's probably what he's complaining about. And Muriel is probably frustrated eh, that his season isn't going as well as um, previous seasons did. He's looking heavier. He's looking slower. He's looking more lethargic, less mobile, less technical almost. Almost like yeah. he's overthinking what he, would come naturally to He currently before. looks like he's in the latter stages of his career. Like yeah, his career yeah, is coming yeah, to yeah. an end, you know? He's not the type to have a long career. No. True. But fortunately, they have Hoyland and Lukman who are adequate replacements. This game was obviously, obviously skewed. I do think that Atalanta would have caused the usual problems that they caused Sassuolo. In fact, only against Juventus have Sassuolo lost more matches in Serie A than against Atalanta. Wow. Um, they've lost 11 games out of 19 against Atalanta and 14 against Juventus. Mm. Obviously, we put a bet on those, so it wasn't the case. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you think Atalanta and the level that they're at, they would be capable to get it done. Um, but you can't really predict anything that's going to happen in a football game and for a red card to take place in 30 minutes when both teams are probably still figuring each other out, at least they were at that stage, was a massive hit for, for Atalanta and Sassuolo did really well to capitalise from that, man. Yeah. It might sound easy because you're 11 against 10, but no, it's not because they can sit back, defend with nine and you're fucked all game. And this is one of the fittest teams in the league, like they will run. Exactly, you know? exactly. So Adamola Lukman has scored in the reverse fixture against Asuolo, first of all. Yeah. Um, he has netted 12 goals so far this season. And since 1999, only five players have reached as many goals in their debut season as um, Lukman has now in their first 20 appearances. Mm. These were Lukaku, Ronaldo, Piontek, Milito and Shevchenko. But Ronaldo, we're going to clarify that it's Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course, yes. Just in case. That's interesting because I thought that um, Abraham last year, he broke some records for the amount yeah. of goals that he scored. In a debut season, but it must have been over 20 games. It must exactly. have been more than 20 games. Exactly. Yeah. Impressive stuff by Lukman, obviously coming over from the Prem where he didn't perform very well. Yeah. Um, and just his career just changed for the better now under Atalanta. He fits the system and, and he's a fucking force to be reckoned with, man. Yeah, he's a little devil. And Gasperini's figured him out beautifully. Exactly. What a coup, like who would have signed Lukman, yeah. you know what I mean? A very hipster move by Gasperini. 
Our Sassuolo back to their Robin Hood ways, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. We'll see if they're going to give it to the poor. At the moment, they're they've the given poor. a lot to the poor. Yeah, but they, they and and they've <laughs> and they've become. given a lot to the to the rich as well this year. Yeah. Um, I think Robin Hood needs to be a bit greedy now. <laughs> I think Robin Hood needs to steal from the rich, steal from the poor. And run as fast as they can. Exactly. They need to be a communist leader. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that was the game. Pretty much um, Atalanta tried to come back into it, but of course Sassuolo just dominated yeah. the game. Exactly. Atalanta find themselves in fifth place on 38 points, one behind Lazio, while Sassuolo are in 15th and the gap between themselves and Verona, who are in 18th, is... Nine. The next game we're going to be covering is Salernitana, nil Juventus three. This game happened on a Tuesday night. Very weird. Yeah. Um, the reverse fixture was a 2-2 draw. Um, this was when there was the controversy at the end of the game when Candrevo was keeping the play on side, but Milik's goal was ruled out. Juventus should have had three points for that game. Exactly. For Salernitana, it was a 4-3-3 formation, once again playing with a four at the back with Ochoa in goal, Braderic on the left and Sambia on the right with Trust, Ekong and Braun as a centre-back duo. Vilhena, Kavilia and Koulibaly in the middle with um, Dia on the left, Kandrev on the right and Piontek up front. For Juventus, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Szczesny in goal, Danilo, Bremer and Sandro were at the back with Deschili on the right and Kostic on the left. Rabiot, Locatelli and Miretti played in the middle with Di Maria and Vlaovic playing up front. In the 26th minute, Vlaovic scored a penalty after Miretti was stripped by Cavilia, who is a former youth product, after a um, of Juventus, <laughs> former youth product, yeah. After a dangerous pass by Di Maria, Vlaovic stepped up and on his return, he struck the penalty in off the post without Shoa getting very close to saving it. In the 45th minute, it was the other Serbs' turn to score. This time it was Kostic. Vlaovic's mishit volley landed to Kostic, who slotted past the oncoming Ochoa. This was um, hilarious, to be honest, because you get to see Vlaovic kind of like, he's embarrassed at how bad the shot was, but he's mm. smiling because his um, teammate actually scored. Yeah, his international teammate as well. Yeah, just two <laughs> minutes later, Cavilla's undercooked pass was intercepted by Fagioli, who played a through ball to Vlaovic, who slotted it into the bottom corner. A bit of a disaster class by Cavilla here. Huh? Yeah, I think he's doing Juve a little favour. <laughs> yeah. In the 52nd minute, Di Maria struck the woodwork from the first time curled attempt. This was a copy of his shot that hit the crossbar against Napoli. Just can't get these in now. Yeah, no, not, not at all. But when you, when you think Di Maria hit the post, you'll imagine this guy, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Keane hit the post after he was played through by Chiesa at the end of the game. But that was a very comfortable victory for Juventus. Agreed, agreed. Three points, three goals. They'll run away with that, Juve. Yeah, no problem for them. Vlaovic is back and contributing to every single goal that was scored for Juve this game. More things to come for him. Players do tend to have impressive goal-scoring records against Salernitana. So this could perhaps be um, the case for Vlaovic, who will, have go who will get goals against Salernitana. We've seen Vlaovic not get the chances that he did at Fiorentina in an Allegri system. Now, that was without playing alongside Di Maria. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now that Di Maria is in the team, and now that he has someone to feed him and Chiesa is coming back into the team as well, he's more likely to get more chances. 
And we know how he is if he gets chances. He is deadly. Yeah. He's ruthless. He's very good. He has a great technique, great physical presence, good pace, good shot. There's no reason why he shouldn't bang in goals. He's got a world-class player in Di Maria playing mm-hmm. alongside him. He's got someone who knows him very well at the national team as well in Philip Kostic mm-hmm. playing on the wing. He's got Fajoli who looks really direct and looks really intelligent with his passes playing over there. So we might be able to see Vlaovic with these new guys having a bit more chances. Exactly. Now it, it depends. Is he going to be the sole striker? Is he going to start alongside Arcadius Milik? Um, is Di Maria going to play out wide? Is he going to play behind the striker? Is he going to play alongside him and not two up top? All this will change how Vlaovic's season goes, essentially. But he's a big boy. He can adapt, no? Yeah, yeah for sure. We'll see how he does. Miretti injured his ankle in this game. He was stretched off. It was brutal, my God. Watching someone... Going through all that, you almost feel weird that the cameraman isn't going to help him, you know? He's yeah. <laughs> just, just there on the floor being filmed, screaming in agony. God, like, stop but, recording! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, put it down! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's the only time where I'm watching footballers and I go, yeah, thank God I'm not a fucking footballer. Yeah. Like, that, that looks so annoying. The Juve medical team has ruled out talks of a fracture. That's embarrassing. <laughs> what, what is this? Some kind of wuss? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was broken. So Moretti's yeah. fine physically. Ugh. There are a few things about his personality <laughs> that are a bit... It's not really a warrior, you know. <laughs> Salernitana have not won back-to-back games since October and have only recently ended a seven-game winless run in the league. Yeah. Um, do you think it'll get better for them? They're hanging quite low, bro. Do you think they're a kind of mid-table team? Do you think they're a relegation candidate? What do you think they are selling it on? No, I think they had a, a very good start. Maybe it didn't come all at once like Odinese's success, for example. It was more sporadic, but they were a force to be reckoned with against mid-table teams mm-hmm. as well. That's where they're dangerous. Now, they are on a bad run of form and... You know, like the stat, like Jake just said, it was seven matches without a victory. Um, But I still think that because of their unity, because of their players and because of their coach, they have more of a chance of survival than your Spezias Mm -hmm. and then your Sampdorias and Cremoneses. So you see them as a team above outside the relegation pool? Fighting relegation, Uh um, but... I think they could be. I think their top would be being like a like a thirteenth, fourteenth. Okay, yeah. Like I they think were that's the their start. highest potential. Fair enough, fair enough. And they have a good project going on. They bring in very smart players, uh, yeah. very su- smart signings as well. Um, I was surprised to see Antonio Kondreva not doing anything this game. Essentially, he was involved in three goals in his previous three matches against Juventus with one goal and two assists. So it was unlike him to do nothing. Yeah, yeah. I think, again, sometimes we go after the player when in reality we should be going after the entire team. So he was a product of Salernitana not being in the game, I'm yeah. afraid, and not vice versa. I mean, they played it on his side to try to create. He was kind of overcomplicating things with the cross. He did whip in a few nice ones for Bonazzoli, especially later That's true. on. Um, so yeah, perhaps he was unlucky. 
You mentioned earlier, um, Vlaovic is always going to score against Salernitana. You, yeah. That was a statement. Um, and you're absolutely right. He's scored six goals in four games against Salernitana. This includes a brace that he scored with Fiorentina on the 11th of December 2021. So they are one of his favorite teams to, to score against. And he really demonstrated that on his return. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a party sometimes when Salernitana are off. Um, they did as well have Fazio out injured. Not sure if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> Maggiore, Mazzocchi and Gyomber, obviously you um, have their fair share as well with Arcadius Milik out, Bonucci, Paredes, Pogba and Caio George. Not that that really makes, makes so much difference. of a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think we can move on, to be honest. We most certainly can. Juventus are in 10th. They, of course, are still working on their on appealing the decision that has uh, reduced 15 points from their season, while Salernitana are in 16th with 21 points. The next game we're going to be covering is the Derby della Pennino between Fiorentina and Bologna. It was an away victory for Bologna, two goals to one. They also won the previous encounter, the same result, two goals to one. For Fiorentina, it was their classic 4-3-3 formation. Terracciano on goal and the backline of Beraghi, Igor, Milenkovic and Dodo. A midfield three of Barak, Amrabat and Bonaventura and a front three of Saponara, Jovic and Nico Gonzalez. For Bologna, it was their 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal and the backline of Posh, Lukumi, Sosa and Cambiaso. A double pivot of Schouten and Dominguez or Solini out on the right, Soriano out on the left with Ferguson in the attacking midfield role, with Zerg Zay just ahead of him. So in the 10th minute, Ferguson's header was cleared off the line and onto the crossbar by Jovic. Bologna's players were certain this was a goal that had crossed the line, but the referee's watch didn't signal this. It would have flashed if it were over the line. The referee went to check VAR, and instead of spotting a goal, he spotted a Barak handball in the tussle that followed, awarding a penalty to Bologna. It was Quite a clumsy one. His arm was out there in a tussle with his opponent. But quite unfortunate, obviously, that it landed exactly there. Orsolini stepped up a few moments later and he slotted the penalty into the bottom right corner, sending Terracciano the wrong way. But what a start to the derby. Five minutes later, Fiorentina equalised and it was Saponara. He got the crucial touch to a volley by Nico Gonzalez, putting the ball into the back of the net. Not exactly Saponara magic, but... Saponara efficiency. The magic came shortly after. The magic came in the 35th minute. Saponara released himself to an astral force as he attempted an audacious bicycle kick which rattled the crossbar and multiple, multiple ovaries around the world. I heard that 17 women gave birth in the 35th minute of Fiorentina Bologna. It would have been the goal of the season. It would have been the goal of the season, man. I'm telling you, we've been talking about Saponara over here for so long. He is Zinedine Zidane when he's on, man. He's our god. Yeah. The problem with him, once again, is that he's a little bit immobile. He's kind of heavy-ish. That's it. And he's a bit inconsistent. (laughs) And his fitness isn't fantastic. Yes, and and he does zone in and out when it comes to form. But he always has that one, those one or two moments in a game where he just serves someone perfectly or like Mm. scores a fucking... But it's not like his moments are always goals. Sometimes his games are close to perfect. Yes. When you're watching him, it's like you're watching poetry in motion when he's on. 
he kind of has that Insignia approach where he cuts in early and delivers a nice ball into the box, for example. In the final third, he can get really yeah. creative and he can really think on his toes. At one point scenarios. this game, he gave a Trivella through pass with the outside of his foot, whatever the fuck you call that. Amazing. Like His, technique, his technique is really, even on the bicycle kick, the technique is flawless with Sapporara. Yeah, yeah, but we're getting a bit sidetracked. 47th minute. Posh made it 2-1 for Bologna. It was an Orsolini corner that was headed in by Posh thanks to some very sloppy set-piece defending by Fiorentina. Again, that has been quite a theme for Fiorentina, not only particularly from corner kicks and set-pieces, but even just across the board, poor defending. And Posh has been super at these, huh? four goals this season. For yeah, defending. four goals for Posh, wow. Gonzalez late on in the game attempted a bicycle kick off his own literally with the last kick of the game but was handled rather easily by Skorupski you know he's just simply not Saponara we always I mean? talk about Fiorentina overcomplicating things just trying these types of shots mm. just when you need a goal you know just come on yeah try something safer yeah, sometimes I feel like they play without a striker, which is weird considering they yeah. have Lukajovic up front. They find it hard to serve him. And that was one of Italiano's forte mm. before coming. That's in. true. It was his main thing. You That's know? true. But you said this was your match of the week, bro. Oh, it was so exciting, man. There were six shots on goal for Fiorentina, seven shots on goal for Bologna. It was end to end. You know, mm. both teams looked capable of scoring. It was a fantastic midfield battle going on over there with Amrabat playing very well and um, shouting Dominguez yeah. and Ferguson trying to link up as well. Orsolini has been given this, I don't know, it, it's almost like he's been promoted in a certain way to yeah. to like the, the main playmaker. Mm. Everything goes through him now. It's almost like Motas put all his faith in him to, to lead the attacking charge mm. and he's doing so well, man. He has the talent to do it. It's always seemed like it was a bit of a consistency slash attitude problem. There were many times where I think he believed that he was the star of the team and rather than that motivating him, it just made him have quite a lackadaisical yeah. approach. Um, but this is why you need a good motivator and this is why good motivators make good players. That's why Ronaldo's one of the greats. It's because he had Mourinho, because he had Ferguson, because he had Ancelotti and obviously because he's a fucking beast and, and, and he's Ronaldo. But... You guys know what I'm yeah. saying. I just found it surprising that Bologna got past Fiorentina twice this season. I know that they have been better than Fiorentina this season. But you look at history. And I mean, Fiorentina have won more matches in Serie A against Bologna than any other opponent. They're literally their favourite opponents. They have 56 victories <clears throat> against them. Okay, albeit they've got 46 draws and 39 losses as well. But they're also unbeaten in 16 of their previous 17 matches against Bologna. So Bologna to get the double over there, rewriting history slowly. Impressive, slowly. Uh, something has changed and finally the talent at Bologna is being utilised. Mm. Well done, Tiago Motta. Well done, Tiago Motta. Very you see well them done. right now, they're in ninth, top half of the table, and that's where they should have been yeah, for and, a while. In, and it's, it's interesting because you see Torino in seventh and Udinese in eighth. And Bologna look better than these guys, man. Yeah, Bologna look better than these guys. They look very, very, very good. And you see the mood is really good in Bologna and in Torino, mm -hmm. but Udinese, for example, the mood isn't as... Uh -huh. And as I think things. this this brings me to a, to a point. I think Motta has got a knack for talent. Yeah. I, think he, I think, yeah, he had his period where he was playing everyone and not being consistent in his 11. We have put a pin on that and said that 
he's trying shit out. He has to because he needs to come up with something that works for him. So he needs to try everything. Um, and, you know, he's come up with Ferguson. He's come up with Zergze. He's come up with Soriano ahead of Barrow. And he's come up Posh with Orsolini. Yeah, Posh, Cambiasso, Orsolini being back into the team as well. Dominguez, again, stable in the team. And, and just even Sosa, dude, at the back. Even Sosa, just he is. I, I think this is the best Bologna could be yeah. at the moment with what they've got. And it takes a true leader to get them there, man. And I think Motta is a true leader for them, especially yeah, after what be. they went through, man, Bologna. Yeah. And he, um, it's true. And and he did a very good job at Spezia, Motta. Keeping that side up was a was a massive stroke. Yeah, no wonder he left after one season, huh? Yeah, he was like, I am not mm. doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> He'll one day manage Inter. Possibly. I, I for sure, that. for sure, for sure. Yeah, maybe. As and, like be fu- and they'll be fucking good under him and they'll have an era. The Motta era. Yeah, You'll see. We might come back to this, huh? Yeah, I hope, hope, well, not hopefully, because they'll genuinely be, <laughs> I see in the future, that just being a, a good period for mm. Inter. But yeah, we'll see. One can only wait and see, man. Bologna are in ninth with 29 points, while Fiorentina are in 13th with 24 points. <coughs> <laughs> Pardon me, you're up, King. Torino won Udinese nil. The reverse fixture was a 2-1 victory for Torino. Torino have done the double over Udinese. Now Torino lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Milinkovic, Savic in goal, Bongiorno, Schurz and Gigi at the back, Voivoda on the left and Aina on the right. Linetti and Ricci were in the middle with Karamoch and Miranchuk playing off the shoulders of Sanabria. For Verona, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Silvestri in goal. Becao, Bijol and Perez were at the back with Ezibwe on the right and Udoji on the left. Arslan, Wallace and Samardzic were in the middle with Isaac Success and Beto playing up front. In the 49th minute, Ola Aina's in-swinging cross was half-volleyed in by Karamoch, who made an excellent run off the ball. The goal was initially cancelled due to an apparent offside, but the referee reverted his decision after a VAR check. 1-0. Yeah, correct decision. Very close. But we have got the finest technology to let us know just how close (laughs) it was. Yes, sir. And Karamoh was looking really good this game. Very active, very very present, always wanting the ball, always moving forward. He had a very good game, Karamoh. Yeah, and this was after Dembasek had a pretty good game as well. So... Good to see that there are a few options for Torino up front because we always say that they're lacking in this department. Yeah, especially when they sign no one. Well, they signed Miranchuk, okay, but they signed no one. Yeah, it's true. They're, they're really not helping them. Huh? And, you know, Juric has been screaming for, exactly. <laughs> for signings. So it's yeah. good to know they can, they can come across this kind of talent, like yeah. Dembasek and Karamo. Torino and Udinese's last Serie A draw was back on September 16th, 2018. That was 1-1 with goals from De Paul and Meite. Since then, Udinese have won three games, while Torino have won six, including, of course, the reverse fixture this season. This would be my cue to go, no way, bruh. There we go. <laughs> on a more interesting note, Olaina, good. <laughs> he played really well. He has scored two goals, in 94 appearances, but both of them were against Udinese. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's the Udinese killer over here, mm. Olaina. He played a really good game out wide. Yeah, I, I rate Olaina a lot. I rate Olaina a lot. 
um, I was really interested to hear that he, at a youth level, played alongside the likes of Tammy Abraham oh, yeah. with Chelsea coming coming up through the ranks. There were a bunch of players known that I, team. Uh-huh, I forgot who they were exactly. I think maybe there was Mason Mount, Mason Mount yeah. in there um, and a bunch of others. Sorry if we're leaving anyone out, yeah, guys. we're leaving many people out. Yeah. Udinese have attempted the most shots in Serie A in 2023. 92 shots, at least 11 more than any other team in the process. Wow, okay. So, yeah, Udinese are an offensive animal, huh? like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But more the, than meets the eye. But they're struggling, man. They are at the moment. Hey, it feels like they are. Udinese are struggling. I mean, in their last one, two, three, four, in their last six games, they won one, lost three, and drew twice. There we go. They're not on great form, man. They're not on great form. They need they need to get it together if they yeah, the want teams, to keep fighting for Europe. They had that great start and it helps a lot because the teams around them now have picked up form. And you look at Torino, for example, they've just leapfrogged them, dude, into seventh. So this was yeah. a very personal affair. Exactly. A, a big, big three points for Torino. You could say six point, a six point match for Torino. Yeah, man. And Torino had four shots on target. Udinese had three. 11 shots each, 56% ball possession for Torino and eventually a hard-fought victory for them. Yes, sir. Would you let us know where they stand in the standings? Torino are 7th with 30 points, while Udinese are 8th with 29 points. The next game we're going to be covering was, I think, my favorite game. Um, Well, one of them, at least. It was Monza 2, Sampdoria 2. The previous encounter was Sampdoria 0, Monza 3. Monza lined up with their 3-4-2-1 formation with Di Gregorio in goal. A backline of Caldirola, Mari and Itzo. Carlos Augusto was out on the left with Churia out on the right. And the double pivot of Pes- Pessina and Machine. Pes Pessina, a new signing for them. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's Pessina. Um, Caprari and Mota played in the left wing and right wing roles with Petania up front. For Sampdoria, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation <laughs> as well with Audero in goal, a backline of Amion and Nuiting and Kole. They had Leris out on the right, Augel out on the left and double pivot of Cuisans and Harry Winks. Gabbiadini on the right, Juricic on the left and Lammers up front. Gabbiadini must have heard us laughing <laughs> when we heard that he was playing right winger. <laughs> Because, wow. People, coaches like to play this guy out wide. And by coaches, I mean Stankovic. Still very close to goal, of course. So in the 12th minute, Gabbiadini opened the scoring. Lammers' long ball was not dealt with by Caldirola. As Gabbiadini took full advantage, slotting under Di Gregorio. Still had a lot to do over there. In the 32nd minute... Carlos Augusto's low cross into the box was controlled by Petania with his back towards goal. Converting on the turn. That's his first goal from open play this season. You know, we've always said he's good with his back towards goal. Now, whether or not that means, well, normally it means he lays the ball off nicely or he back heels it nicely into space, but apparently he can turn and shoot as well. So, yeah. great news. Kind of like a slower Pedro strike. Exactly, exactly. A slower, chunkier strike. <laughs> yeah. In the 58th minute, Gabbiadini got his second and Sampdoria's second. He netted a rebound after a great save by the Gregorio on a Larry's header. It did take until the 98th minute for Sampdoria once again to not get the full three points. Uh, Pessina converted a clean penalty with the last kick of the game, sending out there the wrong way. The penalty was given away by Murru, 
who wrestled Petania to the ground in the box, like careful. Yeah, it's the 96th minute of the game. And he's 28 years old, you know, he should be calmer. Please be careful. You know, the ball just came and it wasn't even that dangerous. And he just grabbed him and took him to the ground. Like, please be careful. But Monza kind of ran with the game. They did dictate the pace of it. Sampdoria did have their moments, which is why they got two goals, two strikes by Manolo Gabbiadini. Monza had 72% ball possession, just to <coughs> reiterate how much Monza did control the tempo of the game. They had 17 shots, five of which were on target. Sampdoria had 11 shots, so fewer shots, but six of those were on target. I think Sampdoria shut up shop very well, man. Mm. You know, I think they they held their shape. I think that they deserved something out of this game. You know, they deserved, I think they deserved all three points almost for, for the amount of work they put in to get two goals. You know, they never score. And for them to score two goals and not get the three points is so harsh. Yeah, they you know? just reached their 10th goal of the season in exactly. this game, <laughs> which is mad. Mad that Gabbiadini scored two out of 10 of their goals. Like... Yeah. It, it is crazy. Maybe more. I don't know if he's, he scored earlier. He has. He has coming. scored more this season for sure. Jesus. But uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think Sampdoria definitely deserved something. If not the victory, they were very unlucky to lose it, obviously, in the 98th minute. But do you get what I mean? That Monza kind of dictated the tempo of the no, game? No, yes, of course. Sampdoria were adapting very well, though, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, just, they just fucking held them out, dude. That's it. Yeah. No, but it must be a curse for some door, you know? Yeah. And you look at... Um, it, it's a curse because I can't recall. Now, now they've been bad for a while, Sampdoria, you know, mm-hmm. like since the days where they had Qualiella's record-breaking season under Gianpaolo. Mm-hmm. They have been declining. Mm-hmm. But they don't look on paper as... You know, they they look very similar on paper as they did in the last two seasons. So seeing them decline like this, it's almost like a, an environment kind of thing, you know? Uh huh, and I mean, if you look back at where this all started, is it not when Massimo Ferrero got arrested? Yes, when he was caught with some financial irregularities. Um, or financial de- bullshit, yeah, de- as we rather put it. Declared bankrupt, you know. But now he's still there. He's still there in the stands nowadays, so I'm not sure if he did his time or he was on in house arrest for a while mm-hmm. or he just dished out a sum of money and he's just free, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's hilarious when, when they accept like bail when people dabbled in cash. Like obviously they have cash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, let me use my illegally acquired funds to bail me out of this legal <laughs> exactly. situation. They're like, oh, come on. <laughs> Fine, we'll take it. <laughs> but I think that was the start of Sampdoria's dip. Are they directly related? I wouldn't say directly, but I think it's a, ripple effect onto the club mm. I mean you look at like it, it's gonna be interesting to see if City are gonna stay in their winning ways and stay if the locker room is still gonna be that high spirited place it is same with Juve we're seeing them Juve so yeah. far had quite a good reaction but they also had terrible losses to the likes of Monza after sometimes these things can really take a toll on the players especially when you take into consideration that they are representing a club yeah. you know what I mean and they go to work every day they're hearing everyone gossiping about it you know these things it's mm-hmm. normal like, like you've ever been at work and there was some bullshit on top of you mm-hmm. like there's just like either 
two team members fucking around <laughs> or I don't know, someone's going to get fired and they're going to bring in a new GM yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I'm getting and, so much trauma right now. And this shit, like, bro. Hospitality. <laughs> yeah, man. Everyone, there, everyone fucks in hospitality. In hospitality. And in catering, bro. Your two waiters that are serving you fuck like... The chef's on the coke again. <laughs> <laughs> the GM's always an asshole. I've never yeah. met a nice GM. But anyway. Um, and, and you see, these off-field things do have an effect on their lives directly, as Deshirio, for example, is being booed and targeted by, by Juve fans for apparently assisting the police during the, the investigation. But th- this is this is one thing Deshirio has to understand. And I think, I, I don't know if there's a correct translation from English to Italian, but snitches get stitches. <laughs> I, that's not what they do at Juve. Juve get away with this because everyone's corrupt at Juve. <laughs> they got delict was like, yes, they, they put the document. It's <laughs> like, it's German. I'm leafing, I've had it with you. <laughs> that's, that's so not fucking Dutch. <laughs> like, we just, <laughs> just went to Germany. Yeah, like. We both just went to Germany. <laughs> Dutch is too hard to imitate. It's true, it's true. But yeah, um, these two good guys came apparently and, uh, you know, ratted them out. I'm not even sure if I'm looking at Deshilio anymore or Big Pussy Bompensiero, brother. <laughs> hey, hey, no. hey, pussy, you want a why on me, boy? <laughs> What the fuck are you calling a snitch? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, man. I love Sopranos. I love that moment where Pussy's just sat in the room, fully knowing he's going to get killed. Like, yeah, But he's man. still speaking to Tony like his brother. Dude. That's My amazing. God. Beautiful. But yeah, so basically, Sampdoria are super unlucky. Monza, <laughs> Monza are... Um, safe. They, they continue to play well and they continue to push actually for a European spot perhaps. I can't believe we're meant to be talking about this game and we're just talking about Pussy from Sopranos. Yeah, and we got here because we started talking about Ferrero, then the Juve exactly. thing, then the Snitch thing. Oh exactly. My God, Clearly, everything filters down and everyone starts to get a bit, you know, affected by it, be it negatively or positively, I guess. Yeah, a hard-fought game, of course. Um, Sampdoria will, disapp- will be disappointed, while Monza will be glad exactly. to take these points home. Monza are in 11th on 26 points, level with Juve and Empoli, while Sampdoria on 10 points in 19th place, just two from bottom place Cremonese and four from 18th place Verona. The last game that we'll be discussing is Cremonese nil Lecce 2. The previous encounter was a 1-1 draw. Yeah. It was a 3-5-2 formation for Cremonese with Carnesecchi in goal, Vasquez, Kirikes and Ferrari played at the back. Valeri was on the left and Sir Nicola on the right with Benassi, Meite and Pickle in the middle. Ciofani and Dessers played together up front. For Lecce, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Falcone and goal. Jean-Dre on the right, Gall on the left with Umtiti and Baschirotto at the back. Blin, Hulman and Gonzalez were in the middle with Strefezza on the right, Di Francesco on the left and Colombo up front. The goal came in the 58th minute when Hulman's delicious cross met the head of the rising Federico Baschirotto who headed in powerfully before carrying out his signature flexing bodybuilder celebration. 
We can talk about this guy all day. Yeah, Oscarotto. What a player he's what been this season for that What a role model. Yeah. In the 68th minute was Strefezza's turn to shine the Brazilian curl it into the top corner from outside the area and celebrated in a very strange way. Very strange. He, he reminded me of Mertens, mm, that kind of yeah. sus celebration. Like, yeah, like oh, look at me, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind of shit. Karnasecki denied Banda with a brilliant one-on-one save towards the end of the match, but other than that, it was plain sailing for Lecce as Cremonese continued to disappoint. <laughs> I just <laughs> dropped everything. <laughs> um, great first half, Cremonese. Yeah. Very yes, good yes, first yes. half. And generally a dominant performance by them, um, at least possession-wise, but Lecce just look like they're so much more in tune with their offensive structure. Well, Cremonese, once you penetrate them, once you score, they seem to have no uh-huh. comeback, and, you know? I mean, Lecce are clearly more confident and they're more lethal. Like, you can have all the attacks and you can have all the possession in the world, but a good team only needs a few chances to score. And that's what Lecce are in the works to become, a, a, a good team. Of course, they struggle because they're a newly promoted team. They were playing fucking Serie B teams last year now they're facing Atalanta Fiorentina mm. Milan Inter Juve Napoli Roma and all these guys and they've had good success this season in, in doing so they're in 14th place um, you know okay 14th isn't incredibly impressive but they're safe from relegation at least for now Verona are on 14 points so they're 9 points clear of that but then they're in touching within touching distance of Fiorentina you know what I mean yeah. Le- Lecce have been successful for their first stint back in Serie B. Yeah. Serie A. Serie A, sorry. And exactly, look at this. This was a match between two teams who have just come up together. One of them's on 23 points, the other's on eight. So exactly, exactly. completely different experiences yeah. so far for them. Obviously, Monza had the financial backing, which puts them in 26 points in 11th. Mm-hmm. Same points as as Juve, but yeah, that's a, that's a whole different story, right? Yeah. Um, in both fixtures this season, Strefezza has scored. So he's, okay. he's, he shows up in these Serie B games. There have been six meetings in Serie A between Cremonese and Lecce, bro. Um, Lecce won the first one and the last one. Two Cremonese wins and two draws for the rest. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. They're also the teams. This was interesting. Um, I thought there'd be um, a goal from a corner this game. And in fact, there was of Baskerotto. Uh-huh. Cremonese and Lecce are the two teams that have conceded the most goals from corner situations in Serie A this term. And before this match, it was five. Actually, Baskerotto's goal wasn't from a corner. Um, the cross was given from auto, from open play. Um, oh. But but yeah, they, they have been very, very good in those areas. And obviously, I think both teams... Especially Lecce being good in that area when you look at their two centre-backs as well in, in Baskerotto yeah. and Umtiti. Of course, they're going to be good at, at defending set pieces. But they also have a good system in place that has been implemented that stops them from conceding goals in those scenarios. And obviously very effective just in aerial duels in general going forward and then. So corners, crosses, everything alike. For sure, bro. Um, so we were talking about Strefezza before. Yes. He became the sixth player in Lecce's history to reach six goals scored in his first 20 games played in Serie A. Mm. Um, the stat gets a bit more specific because this was before turning 26. Okay. But a few of these guys, it's interesting because um, a few cult hero names here. Mm. Boyinov, Boyinov, mm-hmm. who I'm not too versed with. Mm-hmm. Vucinic. Mirko. There we go. Shevanton. Okay. Lucarelli and Vugrinic. 
I'm sure there are some real fucking hipsters out there yeah. that know what we're talking about. <laughs> nice, wow. Oh my Von god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's he's been fantastic for them this year, Strefetza. I think yeah. the confidence for you to come up like that and just really take the helm at your starting eleven, become clearly their best player this season, just overall their best player. And the good thing about that is it's still not clear that he's their best player because they have many shouts for top performers, True. but he's been that effective. He gets the output there True. as well. Like you look at purely technique, Banda's better, but then Strefetsias has that flair. Like exactly. Right, you know? Di Francesco has also yeah. been good. And Colombo's growing into his role as well. We've seen him get and some success. It's so much fun watching Colombo play because like he shows you flashes of what he's going to be. Mm. So like last time he, he attempted a dribble from outside the area and I was like, oh, I didn't know he had that in his locker where he just mm. literally like knocked it past the player and beat him on the pace. I was like, I didn't know he could do that. I had never seen him do that before. So every time, you know, you see you see him show you different elements of his game. It's so much fun. Like just yeah, watching you with players in general. And and the exciting thing about watching young players like that, especially young players out on loan, is they're literally there to figure shit out. Oh my <laughs> god! Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for that, guys. <laughs> when whenever we're recording, no matter what game it is, we have a game on mute on the TV, and there's the Le Classique between Marseille and PSG in the the, the the French Cup. Basically, I think it's the semi-finals or some shit. And Marseille at home, they just beat PSG. And what happened on the TV was Ramos was about to score a header and one of the Marseille players cleared the ball off the line with his hand like yeah. blatantly, just like a wanker. In the 93rd minute. In the 93rd minute. But uh, Ramos was initially offside, so none of that mattered. The, the goal just didn't stand, obviously. But uh, that was that was crazy, yeah. man. Igor Tudor. Of course. Beating PSMG, yeah? Of course. Udinese a legend. There you go. Malinovsky came on for them as well yeah. in this game. It was fun. There was, uh, what's his name? Cengizunder. Cengizunder as well. Shit's fun to watch, guys. You should, mm. if you have nothing to do and you're at home, just flick a random game on. Like, all right, this is no random game. It's the derby, the, the main French derby. But for us that get caught up in Serie A at times... Forget to broaden our horizons. There's good. Nothing's ever as good as this, but um, you know, shit exactly. has to be fun to watch. Let's conclude the game. Yes. Let's say where both teams stand. I think it's clear. Cremonese and twentieth still on eight points, still haven't won a single game. Essentially, they have eight draws and fifteen losses. Lecce are in fourteenth on twenty-three points, level with Sassuolo and just behind Fiorentina. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, remember to message us close friends to see bonus behind-the-scenes content on our Instagram stories. Um, give us a rating. Follow reach us. Out, tell us hello. We're yeah. friendly. Exactly. Exactly. We've made some good friends from the from the pod. And just on a day-to-day, -day, just chat a bit about football. It's fun. Yeah, that's the reason we do this, because we like to discuss football. So please, message us. Um, exactly. Ask us who you're talking to, we'll, we'll clarify who it is, because I realize like people don't know if it's me or you. So no, like, hey, true. this is Jake. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Maybe we should just sign off with M or J, like the yeah. big pages. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. So expect more of that, guys. But thank you very much. We love this shit. We love you guys. Take care, and we'll see you next week.